copy of that. I think uh, Keith is back there somewhere. Yep. yep, we'll get you a copy of that. Proverbs 27. So this, as all of these respectable sins, is yet another challenging one, isn't it? You see the title of it. It's the respectable sin of envy. The respectable sin of envy and jealousy. And so, I, mean, I think if we think about envy, it's probably something that we don't like to admit. It's something that we can certainly, in many cases, kind of hide from others because it can be purely a hard issue, something that's just inside of us that no one really has to see. And again, that's what makes these respectable sins so respectable, so to speak. They're not glaring, glaring wicked things. And so we come to this last one in our series, and you see there in your notes, it's caused family feuds. Raise your hand if you know of families that have, been, that, have, that have struggled because of envy between a sibling or a brother or family. Anybody? Sisters or yeah, all of us, right? There's envy there. It has caused family feuds, marriages to crumble, sibling rivalries, severed relationships and friendships. It's instig instigated national and civil wars and, you know what, even church splits out of envy. I want my way. It has bred political firestorm, caused irreparable damage in the lives of otherwise decent people. It just can get out of control because it can consume us from the inside and then it does show up on the outside by the way that we treat others. And probably most importantly, it grieves the Holy Spirit when we allow envy to enter our hearts. And so um, it is the, the emotion of envy and jealousy. Now, look at Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 4 this morning. We'll start off here and then we're going to go to another passage and, and look at a real life example from the Bible of someone who is envious. And most of you probably know who that might be without even looking at the notes. But we'll get there. Proverbs 27 4 says this. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Class, what do you think that means? It's describing both anger and it's describing wrath. And then it talks about envy. What's, what's that saying? Wrath is cruel. Anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? What do you, what do you think that verse is saying? Any ideas? Yes, Patrick. So it's, he said it's very, very hard to stand up against. It's hard to get rid of, maybe even more difficult than, than anger or wrath. Yes, Lisa? Right, it's that secret sin, right? But who can, who can stand against envy? You can't fight it because if it's in someone's heart, you may never know it. And people could walk around with this spirit inside of them of envy towards you or you towards someone else and never know it. So therefore, it could never get settled. It can just continue on and continue on. Wrath and anger, that's explosive, you know, at times. But it gets reduced and then it can be dealt with. But envy, if it's in someone's heart and it's never dealt with, it's always there. When you think about that person, when you see that person, it can become just a, a consuming, controlling thing. And, and that's what the scripture is saying. Who, who in the world can stand before envy? It's that powerful of an emotion. Sometimes even greater than wrath and anger. And so that... That would be written in Proverbs is instructive for us. So in your notes here, I have, um, how'd they go off? Don't look. <laughs> you guys know it, yeah. In your notes, envy. An emotion that describes the resentment or discontent one feels over the superior excellence, happiness, happiness, 
or reputation enjoyed by another and desiring to have that for oneself. Wanting something belonging to another person. That would be envy. Yes, Jack. Would that um, encompass bullying? The person that is the bully looking at other, what other people have? And... So that you act out upon it? The bullying is acting out upon the envy. Yes, yes. It's, it's like I'm going to... I'm so enraged it can turn into anger. We're going to look at the progression of that in just a moment because envy doesn't always just stay within. There's a progression that happens with envy if we really let it grow and grow and grow within us. It starts to ooze out and, and grows and develops into a, into a, it could be a physical altercation. It could be a, an angry outburst or just more of an internal mental emotional illness almost because we could become consumed with it. And so, yes, sir, Steve. Um, something that's helped me, you know, I do a lot of work in Hollywood, and you get jealous because I'm staying at people's houses and they're like $5 million. Most people in Hollywood are some of the most, like, sad, ticked-off people that I've ever met in my life. So it doesn't make you happier. So that's good for me because I think about yeah. that. Like, oh, if I just had a five-car garage, four Maserati, they're all miserable people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> You'd just take one Maserati and be happy, right? You don't need five. I mean, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know this class. I mean, when you look at Hollywood, when you look at these stars and, 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 and famous athletes and they're getting in trouble, or they're still not happy or they're still irritated about something or something. Oftentimes it is, well, look, at they've got a bigger name than I do. Their, their walk of fame on Hollywood Boulevard there is greater than their, their, their star. Why don't I have a star? Or I'm better than they are. They get more money than I do in, in royalties and advertisements and sponsorships. And I'm a better athlete. Than, and, and we can look and become envious because someone's advancing beyond us. And so there's a root to all that as well, which, which we'll talk, talk about in a moment. You know, that's what the Ten Commandments. Envy is really addressing the Tenth Commandment. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house his wife, his servants, his ox, or his ass, or nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Coveting, wanting what your neighbor, what your relative, what your friend has that you don't can become a contentious issue in our own spirit. And so on the other side of that then, or similar to that, is jealousy, just defining both of them so we have an understanding. Jealousy is a secondary emotion that typically refers to the negative thoughts and feelings of insecurity, fear, and anxiety over an anticipated loss of something that the person values, either in position, human affection, or material possession. So jealousy is not losing what you have. Envy is not having what you want. So they cover, it covers both sides of this internal I, I, I desire, I want, or I don't want to lose what I have. And so, so the proper usage of jealousy then is the fear of losing something that one already possesses to another person. And by the way, it's usually to a loved one or a close friend. While on the other hand, envy is the pain or frustration caused by another person having something that one does not have and wants. Two shopkeepers were bitter rivals. And the stores were directly across the street from each other, like the Gimbals and the Macy's. Remember that from uh, Miracle on 34th Street? Um, their stores were directly across the street from each other, and they would spend each day keeping track of each other's business. If one got a customer, he would smile and triumph at his rival across the street. One night, an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers in a dream and said, I will give you anything you ask, but whatever you receive, your competitor will, will receive twice as much. Would you be rich? The angel asked. You can be very rich, but he will be twice as wealthy. Do you wish to live long and healthy? Uh, life is possible. You can live long and be very healthy, but he will be twice as much and twice as healthier and live twice as long. What is your desire? The man frowned and he thought for a moment. Then he said, here is my request. Strike me blind in one eye. <laughs> Think of it. Think of it, rather than having all those good things for yourself, I just don't want that other guy to have something that I couldn't have, because he's going to have more than me. And that's sort of the, the idea of envy, 
Because we just don't want that other person to advance over us. And so one of the signs of envy is when it's easier to show sympathy and we can weep with those who weep. But when it comes to rejoice with those who rejoice and those who get extra or those who get a lot and we are called by the scriptures in Romans chapter 12 to rejoice with them that rejoice, where it's hard for us to do that, that would be indication of envy. No, I can't. I'm not, I'm not happy for them because I, I wish I had that for myself type of thing. And so that illustrates, by the way, the attitude of the Pharisees and the Sadducees when they heard about the resurrection of Lazarus. You know that in the Scriptures in the New Testament? That's not our text. We're not going to look at that this morning. But they couldn't stand it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't stand when Lazarus was raised from the dead. It was just a, a super, super difficult thing. They looked at the scoreboard and Jesus was way ahead and leaving them behind. They were envious of Jesus' ability and power to win the crowd, to perform miracles, to outsmart them in debate and outpreach them according to their own law and the kingdom of God. Jesus had defeated them in every way and now he raises this man from the dead. Who could do that? And the Bible talks about them grumbling and complaining. They were so irate and envious, they wanted to kill him. They wanted him dead. Rather than say, wow, who could raise the dead? Let's get on this man's wagon and go with him. He must be the Messiah. No, what their thought was is, you know what? He could take away our nation and our place and our religion. He's a threat to us. He's becoming more powerful than us. We need to destroy him out of envy, out of envy. And, and we'll see that specifically uh, in just a moment. There's verses that talk about that. Some years ago, the Discipleship Journal, you know, that, that uh, popular Christian magazine, reported that the results of its reader's survey on the top three struggles Christians had in life. The top three. <clears throat> they were materialism, pride, and self-centeredness. Those three. Now, I want you to overlay envy with those three problems. Think about it. Materialism, pride, and self-centeredness. If you really think about it, envy, envy is rooted in all three of those. Envy is rooted in pride. I, I, want, I want to think about me first. Envy is rooted in materialism. I want other stuff that people have. And envy is rooted in self-centeredness. I want to advance my cause, so to speak. And so we could summarize that and just saying, well, the biggest thing seems to be envy for a lot of people. So envy wants things, envy wants recognition, and envy wants to be the center of man's attention. So no wonder the, the, the writer of Proverbs wrote about envy that we read about this morning. Wrath is cruel. That means fierce. Wrath is fierce. Anger is outrageous, meaning overflowing like a flood, dominating and wiping out everything in its course. But who can stand before envy? How do you survive that when you got it? Really, really tough. And so, while wrath and anger are formidable foes, class, nothing can withstand the envy one has in his heart against another. So consider this in Scripture. Abel could not stand before the envy of Cain. God accepted Cain's off, or Abel's offering, but not Cain's. What did Cain end up doing? He went out and killed his brother. Joseph could not withstand the envy of his brothers. What did they do to him? This dreamer, he gets the coat of many colors. He has these dreams about him rising above the stars and everyone bows down to him. Let's take this guy and kill him. And only Reuben spared him and had him put in the pit and then sold off to slavery and so on and so forth. It was, uh, he couldn't stand before his brother's envy. You know, Christ could not or did not withstand the envy of the Pharisees, as we were just talking about a moment ago. You know, even Pilate, Noticed in Mark chapter 14, verse, or 15, verse 10, it says, For Pilate knew the chief priests had delivered Jesus for envy. Specifically right there, the whole reason 
The Sanhedrin wanted Jesus destroyed. Even Pilate recognized it. it was out of envy. He watched the two because Pilate's separated. He's, now, he's not Jewish. He's Roman. And so he's looking at the power struggle here. Not that Jesus was making it a power struggle. He's just coming meek and mild and doing great things, serving God and, and, and honoring his father. But he sees how the Pharisees are becoming more and more and more irate and discontent with this man. And all this man's doing is healing and forgiving sins and restoring the dead to life and all these wonderful miracles. And he sees, you know, this Sanhedrin, this, this group of religious people, they're envious of this man over here. And that's why they want to put him to death because he's winning the people over and they can't stand it. And so it's very clear, very clear to, to Pilate even. Listen to this. James 3.14 says, Where envy is, there is confusion in every evil work. James 3.14. How about this? Do you agree with this? An envious man is worse than an angry and a wrathful man because his wrath and anger may soon be over and de-escalate quickly. And there may be ways and means of appeasing someone's anger. But envy, it holds a death grip on someone's heart. When envy takes hold of the heart, it's a very difficult thing to get rid of. And it could become like a, a cancer inside of us. So Proverbs also says this in Proverbs 14.30, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. Now can you think of other examples in Scripture class? Help me out this morning. Other examples in Scripture where there was envy. I mentioned Cain and Abel. And we mentioned um, Jesus and the Pharisees. Or the Pharisees were the really envious ones. What were some other ones? Think about this. Who, were, who else was envious in Scripture? Yes, Scott? The, uh, the other leaders in Daniel's day who had them thrown in the lion's den. Yes, the leaders in Daniel's day, those 120 princes and those ones who just didn't like that Daniel got elevated to second in charge. And they wanted him to, to catch him at his words. So they threw him in the lion's den, had him praying when he shouldn't have been. Good one. Yes, Lisa. The apostles were when they were arguing over who was the best. Yeah, that's right. They were, who's the greatest? By the way, do you know that happened three times in the New Testament? They argued who would be the greatest on three different occasions. The Bible talks about. Amazing. Uh, let's see, back here. Patrick? What's that? The friends of Lot, yes, and how so? Are you thinking about Job? Yes, yes, that's what I was, okay, good. Yes, Job, absolutely, and his, his friends could have been that way, for sure. Uh, who back here? Yes, Leah. Lucifer. Is that what you're going to say, Steve? These people thinking about Satan stuff back here, you know, that's a... <laughs> absolutely, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in my heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation at the sides of the north. I will be like the Most High. Right? From Isaiah 14. Yeah, Satan, that started it all. I don't like that God has control over this world. I want control over this world, and I'm going to do everything I can. Do you know that's the whole goal of Satan, is to steal glory from God? Did you ever think about that? Satan doesn't want God to have any glory, so he tried to kill Jesus before he ever went to the cross. He tried to keep Jesus from being born. He tried to... Um, uh, keep Israel from developing and growing into a nation because he did not want God to have a people. He did not want to, the, the world to be saved and to glorify God in that way. That's why he opposes every single salvation because every single person that gets saved glorifies God. And Satan opposes everyone constantly. So, so there's another hand over here. Yes, Dan? So... so Yes. Paul writes about the circumcision, which is used to try to tell the Christians that 
I say, yes, yes, you have to follow the Judeo, uh, the Judeo uh, uh, law, if you will, and be circumcised in order to become a Christian. There was uh, disagreement about that and debate. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Rachel. Davis was envious, and who was he envious of? Bathsheba's, <laughs> yeah, he was wanting that, that woman, right? Yeah, so all, all sorts of examples in Scripture. I'm thinking about um, Leah and Rachel when Leah was jealous of Rachel's relationship with Jacob. And then Rachel was jealous of Leah's children with Jacob. And they were both fighting each other over children and over the husband. And they were constantly at odds with one another. And who we're going to look at this morning, if you would please take your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is probably the most notable one in all of Scripture that I can think of, and it is Saul and David. Saul and David. 1 Samuel chapter 16 we're going to look at one verse there, then we're going to go to chapter 18. I have to ask you the question while you're turning there, class. Don't, don't raise your hand, but have you ever been envious of anyone? We could become envious of people in the church because of their spiritual giftedness, their talents, their abilities to sing, to act, their knowledge of the Bible, their status, their popularity within the church or whatever. We can become envious of people. They have a look. Look at their family. Look at how well their kids are behaved. Look at the house that they live in. Look at the job. Look at the status that they have. I wish I had that. Right here within our own church. That's very, very easy to happen. So asking if we've ever been envious, it's like asking if we've ever breathed. Someone had their hand up. Someone want to say something? Yep, Scott? You, you want to confess really? who you're envious of yeah, this morning? Yeah, I, was, I didn't want to raise my yeah. hand too high. Uh, but you had mentioned earlier that Pilate could see in the Pharisees envy. But the, the Pharisees likely could not see it in themselves. They felt that most likely that they were justified in their hatred of this individual because they were of the family and lineage of Aaron. They were the, the religious leaders, and he was stealing their, their glory, their position, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I think that many times we may not see in ourselves many sins, but, but envy in particular, it's, it's hard for us to see it in ourselves it's easier to see it than someone else. Absolutely true. Isn't that like most sins, though? It's easy to pick out someone else's sin, but we don't pull the beam out of our own eye, right? And envy is one of those. It's hidden in there, and we can justify ourselves or feel, you know, we're, we're right in the way that we have this opinion about someone or something because we're blinded to our own sin. And in this case, we're blinded to our own, ready for this, our own insecurity when it comes to envy. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Yes, sir. Well, you were saying about the envy in the church, and I really think that, uh, only from my own experiences, social media has just exemplified that. Mm. Because you see all these, oh, 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 look what they're doing. You know, every, everywhere. And you're like, oh, I want that. Yeah. And it looks like a happy family, and everything's great, but it doesn't really matter. Yes. The self-promotion of social media is, we all know about it well, right? We want everyone to know that we're drinking water today. That's great. You know, put it up on Facebook. <laughs> Terrific. Hey, I had my water today. There it is. Great. So that's absolutely makes it much more prevalent in our society. And um, so easy it is. Look at, Pro I'm sorry, look at uh, 1 Samuel 16, class. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 21. <coughs> David and Saul, and David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. I want to look at the foundations of envy this morning. See, it's first of all often directed towards someone you already know 
or love. Notice, again, David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly and became his armor-bearer. David became Saul's armor-bearer, and Saul loved David. You see, class, let me just interject here. We're not oftentimes or usually envious or jealous of movie stars, although we could be a little bit, maybe professional athletes, and we mentioned that this morning, or wealthy people that we don't even know. But most often it's the brother Billy next door, or our own brother, or brother Billy, or, or like in David's case, it was someone who knew him greatly and closely, and it was Saul, and that relationship is going to develop. It's our friends. It's our family. Our family members, potentially. Our neighbors that are close to us. Someone in the church that's close, or we, we know who, who they are. It's people who make us feel like we have underachieved and that they have overachieved, not because of necessarily something they've done against us, but just their achievements. And when we compare ourselves with their achievements, we could look smaller than we want to. They have more fun. They have more self-confidence. They look better. They're happier. They just have a more fulfilling and interesting life. And I don't like what I have compared to them. And so that's what can cause this problem with envy. A young first grader came home from school and reported to her dad that she was now officially a brownie. Not to be outdone, her three-year-old brother rushed up to dad proudly and announced that he was a cupcake. (laughs) Envy starts young, doesn't it? Yes, it doesn't take much. And so the foundation here of envy, it's often directed towards someone that we already know, not a stranger. Number two, it's rooted in self-centeredness. See, Saul immediately compared himself to David. Now turn over. You see, first of all, Saul loved David. It says that. And became his armor bearer. He was trusting David to protect him. Now go to chapter 18. We'll finish in this chapter. Jumping forward to their life now. Advanced a little bit further. 1 Samuel chapter 18. You see, Saul immediately compared himself to David. Look at verse... Let's start in verse 5. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass, as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, And David his ten thousands. Verse 8. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? Ooh, wait a minute. This guy's going to steal the kingdom from me. He's gaining more notoriety than I am being a commander out there, and I'm the king. There's something wrong with this picture. And he starts in his heart this process of envy because he sinfully compared himself to David. We've shared this before in this class, but you know 2 Corinthians 10, 12, right? Paul writes, to compare ourselves with ourselves and and to compare ourselves among ourselves, we are not What class? We're not wise. And the moment that we begin to take our focus off of what God wants for us and who we are and how God has made us and we look on somebody else and look at their achievements, their accomplishment, their look, their nice body, their handsome or pretty appearance and their wealth and their material possessions or their kids or whatever, God's saying, your your mind is leaving where I want it to go. It's... It's left the airport. Bring it back. Bring it back. Don't let your mind go there. Comparing yourself among yourself, you're not wise. Don't do that. Don't let yourself go there. Two cows were grazing in the pasture when they saw a milk truck pass by. Uh, On the one side of the truck were the words pasteurized, homogenized, standardized, and vitamin A added. One cow sighed and said to the other, Makes you sort of feel inadequate, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. We sometimes feel inadequate when we know the accomplishments of others. And then we can become 
unhappy with ourselves. Russ. I do, I do, and, and I don't know if there's a specific line, and, and we'll throw this out there, though, but when you see someone who's maybe further along than you are spiritually, and you look at them and say, you know, I, I do appreciate their, their spirituality, or I appreciate the way that they love their spouse, or the way that their children are being raised, that is a guide for me to follow. They can be a mentor to me. I want to raise my kids for the glory of God, but you're happy about it. You're not resentful towards them. The attitude of resentment gets in there, and that's where the envy begins to take root. It's like I'm motivated to do it is a good thing. I want to I use them as an example to follow. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said. And so we want to maybe emulate those who are advanced in us spiritually and, and can take some positive things from that. Where the downside comes in, though, is the moment we, you know... Look at them over there. They just think they're all spiritual and they're just all, you know, high up in the air and they're way better than everybody else. And, that's just, and we let that attitude of sort of bitterness and resentment creep in. That's where envy shows its, rears its ugly head in our heart, where it's a sinful type of thing as opposed to a motivational type of thing. Yeah, good point. Where is that line? Boy, we have to be very sensitive how we cross that because it's all in our own attitude, our own spirit. We have to check it. Well, I have a good, positive attitude towards that person. Can I appreciate them? Can I go up to them and say, hey, thanks, brother, or thanks, sister. you got a, you got a great family, and I just really appreciate who you are and, 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 and the way that you conduct yourself. That is, that is wonderful. I'm coming over to make sure. That, yeah, good, good. <laughs> and so, uh, you with me? You with me, pal? <laughs> yeah, good, okay. <laughs> got you, bro. <laughs> And so, so it's, it's good when we can come up and compliment and have it and really mean it, as opposed to saying, you know, I should say something to him, but I'm just, no, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> exactly. You understand? And so, so the attitude behind that mentality is so, so important. And God sees our hearts. He knows what it is. And, and so I'm talking to all of us, because any of us guys can become envious at any time of anybody else. But at church... When, when the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice, we want to have a good spirit towards those that God is blessing and not look at it as sour grapes on us and miss the blessing of God on them. That could be God saying, look, if I bless your brother, can you be happy for them? And when you're happy for them, then I can add blessing to you. But if I know you're not going to react in the right way, how can I bless your life? because we have an envious spirit. I can't trust you with all of that because it may go to your head. And so we have to be cautious in our own spirit about that envy. <clears throat> so here's some symptoms. Let me just uh, divert here for a second. Symptoms of envy. I'm going to give you these quickly. You ready? Okay, and you think about these in your own heart, your own life, not for anybody else that you know, but think about this for you, okay? You work extremely hard to come out looking good. You examine others with a critical eye. There's always something that you're downplaying about someone who you might esteem. You have hidden feelings of inferiority. You complain about not getting fair treatment. You have an insatiable desire for success. It can't be satisfied. I want to win. I want to be successful. I'm driven to that in an unhealthy way. You need a lot of recognition for your achievements. You tend to be status conscious, whether it's the clothes that we wear, the car that we drive, the neighborhood that we live in, the name brand association that we have. We tend to be very conscious of that. You find it hard to pay compliments to others. You keep score of your own good deeds and those of others. Am I keeping up? Or is what, is what other people think of me 
important. You're willing to pass along negative rumors about a successful person to try to take out some of their momentum, take out some of the steam that they've accumulated in their life. You put on a false front in order to appear impressive. And then letter L is you base your self-image on your performance. These all come from Les Carter in his book, Mind Over Emotions, in talking about jealousy and envy. Things to think about there. You base your self-image on your performance. So those are just symptoms to, to review in your own mind. Do you have any of those? God's saying, let's clear it out. Let's clear it out. So as we come back to the, to the Saul and David here, I want you to see the progression here, the progression of envy. We're back in the first Samuel chapter 18. And um, Paul or Saul, we get to verse 8, and it says, Saul was very wroth. Because he loved David first, and he was, David was his armor bearer, and so he makes him captain over his whole host. That's a good thing. Until, until verse 7 happens. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Boom, that was the change in, in, in the event that changed Saul's mind until his death. He was very wroth, class. Anger. Someone has what you want and you can't get it. It's anger at the success of another person, and that's what happened with Saul. He was displeased to the point of wanting to, to do David harm. It displeased David, it says there. Saul was very wroth, and, and the saying displeased him. Rather than be angry at the ladies for giving David too much credit, he became angry at David for being too successful. And his anger was turned that way. And so that's the start of it, maybe. Anger, discontent at somebody. Then that anger grows to envy. That is never being satisfied with who you are or what you have. The saying displeased Saul, and they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. That's not fair. I'm being shortchanged here. I'm not satisfied with the level of praise that I'm getting. So envy is stronger and more unbearable force than anger. Envy destroys from within class until it tries to destroy its enemies from without. It's in us until it works its way out of us. The next step here after anger and envy itself is self-pity. This is where you, you fall into next, and that is unmet desires that cause emotions to turn inward and often lead to depression or to deep despair. Let's keep reading. And Saul eyed David from that day and forward, verse 9. What do you think he was thinking? Positive thoughts? Oh, look how successful David is. That's my armor bearer out there. Yep, I put the good man in, the, in a good position, a captain over thousands. Yes, he's going to make me stronger. You think that was Saul's attitude? No way. When it says he eyed David from that day forward, he's like, all right, I'm watching you, Wazowski. I'm watching you. I got my eyes on you. And, and that's exactly what he was doing. And while that was all going on, he was becoming more and more inflamed and incensed in his spirit over this. He's feeling cheated. It's not fair. I have but my thousands. You see there at the end of, of verse 8. To me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? He's going to steal everything away from me. And so that attitude began to grow. The next thing is, is contempt and suspicion. This eyeing of David in verse 9. Saul was being consumed in your notes there with what the people were thinking about David. Not even about Saul's own achievements and accomplishments. He had put that aside. He's thinking, look what they're saying about David. It's all about David, 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 David. And he gets consumed with that. And he gets suspicious about that. He had to know at all times what David was doing and where he was at. Verse 5 again tells us, that David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. 
Verse 5 tells us that, that he was accepted or pleasing to the people and even Saul's own servants. Saul set him over the men of war, verse 5, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people. Now, that was a good thing initially for Saul, but now Saul says, you know what? Everyone loves David. All the commanders, all my, all my people under David love David. And all the, the people of Israel love David. And I'm beginning to see that. You know, verse 20 says, look what it says in verse 20. And Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Even now, Saul's family is beginning to love David. But, not, but, but Saul was not pleased for a good reason for David. He's got another hook in David that he can use against him. And so... Saul was obligated to give his eldest daughter. Well, verse 20 says that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. Saul was obligated to give his eldest daughter Merib to David, but went back on his word. It says that over in verse 17. Saul said to David, Behold my elder daughter Merib, her will I give thee to wife, only be thou valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For, for Saul said, let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get David in my family so that ultimately I can elevate him and put him in harm's way and it'll make it look like he's this wonderful commander, but ultimately it'll destroy him. But he couldn't give Merib his first daughter. That would have been against the law. So he, he, he reneged on his commitment to give David. He gave Merib to somebody else. And because Michael loved David, he said, Oh, yes, there's my entryway in to David with my daughter, with my daughter Michael. Look at verse 21. And Saul said, I will give him her, that's Michael, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Wherefore Saul said to David, Thou shalt this day be my son-in-law in the one and the twain. So Saul commanded his servant David's servants, saying, Commune with David secretly, and say, Behold, the king hath delight in thee, and all his servants love thee. Now therefore be the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spake those words in the ears of David, and David said, Seemeth it to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing that I am a poor man and lightly esteemed? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, On this manner spake David. And Saul said, Thus shalt you say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. He's increasing in fear, class. And there's the next step. Saul let David's walk with God take him farther from God, and he became more and more paranoid, setting him up in his family. Look at verse 12, back up to that portion. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. See, he didn't think about David's godliness and God's success in David. He thought about David as an enemy and as a threat. That's what envy does. And so in your notes there, um, when envy... Number two, dominates your life. Your walk with God will be hindered. And you'll not want to be around those who are walking with God. Every day, David was watched by Saul to see his success grow. And so Saul puts him out in the field as his military captain to bring adversity before his life. So that was what fear did. Next is paranoia. And we, we see this here, verse 14. David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was the more afraid. Paranoid. What's David going to do next? What's going to happen? How's he going to get success? How's he going to steal the kingdom from me? And his angst began to grow and grow and grow. And so, this paranoia was becoming overwhelming. Saul was consumed with David's life. Look down at verse 28 and 29. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David and Saul became David's enemy continually. 
It wasn't because of David doing anything. It was because Saul's envy was beginning to overwhelm him. And so there in your notes, number one, under paranoia F, Saul became consumed with David's life. Number two, Saul was paranoid with David's success. He was a continual reminder of Saul's inadequacies, and it drove him crazy. Verse 16, But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went out and came in before them. Can you imagine, class? Jonathan loved David. Michael loved David, Saul's two children. He was going to give Merib to wife. All the captains loved David. All the people loved David. The whole realm of Israel loved David because David was wholly following the Lord and Saul was being diminished and diminished because the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord went from Saul and the Holy Spirit came to David. Now back in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came and went in people's lives. Unlike today in the New Testament, we have the earnest of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives permanently within us. And so that's completely different. But back then, Saul, the Spirit of the Lord went from him, comes on David. David begins to proper, prosper and Saul is becoming more and more diminished because of that envious heart. He just couldn't handle David's success. And it, and it just tore at him and tore at him and tore at him. What that led to, in addition to parano uh, paranoia, is irrational behavior. And you see those there. In verse 11, he tried to throw a javelin at David to kill him. In verse 13, again, makes David captain over a thousand men, not to reward David, but to have him killed in battle. In verse 17, he offered his oldest daughter as his wife in exchange for battling the Philistines, all as a ploy to have David killed in battle. And then finally, he offered his other daughter, Michael, but only as a snare to have him killed, which I think we read in verses 20 and 21. He wanted the foreskins of a hundred Philistines, that he would hopefully die in battle. Once again, verse 25, And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desireth not a dowry, but a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Irrational behavior. That's the extreme of envy. And so you see it building and building and building with Saul against David. And David was doing nothing but being honorable to Saul, being pleasing to the Lord. And, and this is what happened. And so... The final thing here is, class, for us, what's the prescription for envy? Number one is this, or admit that we're selfish. Admit that we're selfish. Ephesians 5.29 says, For no man ever hated his own flesh, but he loves it and he cherishes it. When wronged, it can lead to self-pity because we love ourselves too much. Self-pity does not heal our hearts or ease our pain, nor does it bring comfort or contentment. It just drives us further into the, the cycle of despair. And so we're all selfish at times. There's no doubt about that. Saul was selfish, but he made his problem worse by following that downward progression against David. And it made it worse and worse. Second, we need to not only admit that we're selfish at times, but to surrender our will to God. Surrender our will. It's a conscious decisions class to make or to rid yourself of envy. I think I put in your notes there, 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, desire the sincere milk of the word. We have to have a will to do that. Galatians 5, 26 there in your notes. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, selfish ambition, provoking one another envying one another. Don't let that consume you. There it is in the New Testament. Let us see. Stop comparing yourself to others. As I mentioned earlier, when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise. And finally, almost finally, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul was not. Saul was not. The Bible says, and the Spirit of the Lord went from Saul, as I just mentioned. And it, and it was on David. One of the saddest verses in the Scripture, I believe. Verse 12 of 1 Samuel 18, And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was not with him and was departed from Saul. One of the saddest verses in the Scriptures. 
and, and Saul began to fall apart as a result. What should we be doing? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by God's Spirit in you. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and all of those things. Begin ministering to others. Don't serve yourself. By love, serve one another, the Bible says. And then finally, letter F, develop a thankful heart. Put a colon there between 5 and 18. 1 Thessalonians, develop a thankful heart class. We just talked about that last week. And this was Thanksgiving week. Be thankful for what you have, not for what we don't have. And give God glory and then choose to say, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to please you with my life for what I have, not because my neighbor has something more than I do. So the challenge and the spiritual growth assignment is this. Shakespeare said, how bitter a thing it is to look into happiness through another man's eyes. So life is too short and God's blessings too great to let the ugly emotion of envy lock you in its grasp. Give those emotions that produce envy over to the Lord and admit your selfish desires to Him. Let His peace and contentment replace your envy and then enjoy living in His freedom. Follow this to overcome that verse that says, Who can stand before envy? The Word of God and the Spirit of God in us can help us overcome it. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for the time together. Thank you for the lesson from the Word of God on Saul and David. Help us, Lord, to apply that truth to our lives. Help us, Lord, to love others and to not be selfish, but to give of ourselves to others as you seek to bless us as a result of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, guys. Thanks so much. Have a great week. and stubbornness and you go you could you do 20 of those yeah that's true it's true there are like the paradoxes the opposites